I want you to think for just a moment about what it is that you fear most. What is it that you fear? Uh, some of us have fears that are very rational. Uh, some of us have fears that make a lot of sense, and I'm sure we believe about our fear that it is rational and it makes a lot of sense. We have fears of things like spiders and snakes and of heights. Uh, some of our fears are a little less rational. Take, for example, Dennis Miller, who describes his fear of flying. His fear of flying. Here's what he says about his fear of flying. My fear of flying starts as soon as I buckle myself in, and then the guy up front mumbles a few unintelligible words. Then before I know it, I'm thrust into the back of my seat by acceleration that seems way too fast. And the rest of the trip is an endless nightmare of turbulence, of near misses. And then the cabbie drops me off at the airport. <laughs> so we have some fears, right? Different fears. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I just got that. We all have these fears. Some are very common phobias that if we were to poll the audience, uh, you would all agree of certain fears, and then, you, and then the other group would think that those fears are absolutely ridiculous. Um, we have fears that uh, are involved in the world around us, the fears in the relationships that we have, fears on, of what's going on in us. Maybe it's fears of health or, or fears of something going on in our head or things that we're hearing. Uh, these, these fears can impact us and, and the way we live our lives, the way we walk out day to day, the way we treat others, the way we treat ourselves, the way we view ourselves, and the way we view God can all be impacted and driven by the fears that we have. Um, Robert McGee, in his book, A Search for Significance, talks about these core fears that can really impact the way we view ourselves and the way we view others and the way we behave in the process. Um, one of these is a fear of failure. That, that when I have the fear of failure, it can lead me to this unhealthy perfectionism where I've got to get it right. It's an overactive drive to succeed because you fear failing. Uh, you want to do everything right. And so what that can do is paralyze you into doing nothing because you don't want to make a mistake. You, you don't want to fail. Another one is a fear of rejection. Like how you are viewed by other people is a driving force in your life because you don't want to be rejected. And so, so people who fear rejection, they become people pleasers, doing everything they can to keep others around them happy. Uh, they become overly sensitive to criticism, and, and they withdraw from others. Others, fears that we have of, of being punished, fears of punishments. And this can lead us to, to blame others and, and be in a victim mindset, and, and we, we either feel like others are unworthy of our love or we're unworthy of others' loves. And so we feel like we're victims in everything. So this fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of punishment, these are some of the, the core fears that can, can really mess up the way we view ourselves and the way we can treat others. And so today we're starting out on a new journey through Joshua, looking at the story of Joshua and who he was. 
And as the book opens up, we see this scene where Moses has just died and Joshua is taking on command of Israel. He is Moses' chosen successor. And he's stepping up into this role. And the people of God are at the Jordan River. They, they are ready to cross over into Canaan, into the land that has been promised to them. But it won't come without a challenge. It's going to be difficult. There are fears that they have. Fears that have the potential of completely derailing the mission that they're on. And so we're going to read through some of these stories Today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, if you want to start turning there. The story so far up to this point is that God has chosen Abraham and has promised him land. He's promised him that he will have descendants more numerous than the stars, more numerous than the sand. And he forms this people, this people called Israel. But these people are then enslaved into Egypt. And in this slavery... Uh, God uses Moses to rescue them. And they're freed from this slavery, and they're out in the desert, and, and God makes a covenant with them. He makes promises with them at Mount Sinai about what it means to be, their, be his people. And then they're brought through the wilderness, and they wander through the wilderness, and now here they are camped outside of the promised lands. They're called to obey God's commands so that, they will, that the world will know what God is like through the people of Israel. And so the book of Joshua is picking up on this story where Moses has just died and they're ready to enter into the promised lands. And so let's read Joshua starting in chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid... Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you have set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it or, or to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So let's pause there for a moment. As we look at these, these first nine verses, we see a new day dawning for Israel. They're here on, on the edge of the river, finally at this point. They're, they're camped on the east, and their eyes are looking to the west, on toward Canaan. And they're anticipating this great moment. This first section is focusing on, on, on God speaking directly to Joshua. God is giving Joshua his instructions 
his calling, his mission of what he's supposed to do. And as we read through Joshua, Joshua is the hero of the story. We'll see him as, as the one who takes the lead of Israel after Moses dies. We see him leading the conquest of the land that was promised and the settlement of that land. We see him preparing Israel for what it means to live life in the lands that God has given them. And so this is Joshua, our he hero of the story. And this isn't the first time we've seen him. He is a, a notable character that we've seen before. He's, he's um, he is tasked with leading Israel's defense against the Amalekites in Exodus 17. He appears as Moses' aide, as, as Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the commandments from God. And he emerges as a leader during Israel's wandering in the wilderness from Canaan. He and Caleb are the two spies that go into the land. There's 12 spies that go, but only Joshua and Caleb are the ones that say, Yes, we can take this land. We can do it. The other ten are fearful and think they should avoid the mission altogether. And so as God is commissioning Joshua to lead, it, it sounds very much like a king issuing his battle plans to a general. God is giving Joshua the plans. This is what you are to do. The Mosaic era is over, and they're moving forward with what God has given them. And it is only within God's help that they're going to receive what has been promised to them. And so they're finally crossing over the Jordan. They're, they're finally realizing this promise of land that was made to Abraham six centuries earlier. And here they are, finally at this moment. But the promised land will not be taken by their own strength. It will not be taken by the great leadership of Joshua. It won't be taken by the great power of Israel. It's only going to be taken by the power of God. It's going to be God that gives them the land. And Joshua is commanded three times to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Is there something to fear here? Maybe after the third time, Joshua's thinking, wait a second. If you're warning me this many times to be strong and courageous, what is it that we're up against? He's been in the land. He's seen it. And he was only a, a, a small percentage that said, yes, we can take it. The other ten were fearful. And so here Joshua is being told by God to be strong and courageous. And the third time, it's not enough just to say strong and courageous, but he's also told, do not be afraid, or a better word there is terrified. Do not be terrified or discouraged. So now we have to double up on our instructions. Don't be fearful. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Because God is going to be with you. And so these are the kinds of commands that are, are given to somebody who is facing a dangerous and humanly impossible task. That this is not doable in Joshua's own efforts. If he's, have, if he's having to be told this so many times to be strong, to be courageous, to not be terrified, to not be discouraged, then it means that it is an impossible task. What he is headed into will not be handled on his own. This mountain is too difficult to climb. But God promises that he will be there with him. And so there is a great danger to what God is calling Joshua to. 
there's fears, there's feelings of inadequacy, there's doubts, there's uncertainty. All of this can cripple Joshua's confidence, cripple his ability to lead in what God has called him to lead in. And so when there is fear, there is this temptation to back off of things, to, to remove risks, to strike compromises, or just to retreat altogether. It would be a lot easier just to stay on the east side of the river and not cross over. To be strong and courageous means to be steady, to be resolute, to be bold, to be unafraid. And so after God has given these instructions to Joshua, Joshua then takes these instructions and relays them to his officers and relays them to the tribes who already have their land on the east side of the river. And so let's pick up the story in verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take, possess take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So he says, take possessions. He's not telling them to assemble the weapons. He's not telling them to, to assemble the tools of war. He's, he's telling them, take food and water and prepare for this. Verse 12, but to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, now these are the tribes that have land on the east side of the river. They already have their lands. They don't need to cross the river because their land is on the east side of the river. He tells them, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after you said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your li livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land, the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. And so can you imagine this historic moment where, where Israel is camped on the east side of the river and, and for nearly eight centuries they have lived as resident aliens in, in Canaan and oppressed been oppressed slaves in Egypt. They've been nomads. They've been wandering around. They've been all over the place. They have not possessed land. And here they are, ready to receive this long-awaited gift, ready to go. And so for his officers, he focuses on the provisions necessary to cross over, not the weapons that are needed to cross over, not the weapons that are needed to, to take the land, but he says, take the provisions that are needed. And then to these eastern tribes, he says, there is no rest for you. You cannot just settle in your land until all of Israel has what has been promised to them. He reminds them of Moses' decree that's in Numbers 32 that, that says that they must first fight to win the land for the other tribes before they can rest in their own lands. They're all in this together. They have to move in a unified effort across the river to take the lands. And so this is an exciting time for them. They are ready to go. 
but it doesn't come without risk. It doesn't come without challenge. And so are the people ready for this? Are they, are they really ready to take what God has given them? Or will fear consume them? Will fear overwhelm them? Joshua has been commissioned as leader we see that he is, is God's chosen one to lead in this effort, but will they follow him? Or will they just do what's comfortable and stay on the eastern side of the river? And so they respond with this powerful affirmation in verse 16. They answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And so here the people affirm that Joshua is their leader, the, the leader that has been chosen by God, the one who will be empowered by God in the same way that Moses was empowered by God. And with Joshua, they will be strong and courageous. And so this story is full of opportunity for fear, full of opportunity for uncertainty. There are these shadows that lurk around but there's this great sense of anticipation that God is doing something. God is moving. God is calling us into something. Do we have the ability to conquer the lands? Will Joshua be able to handle the challenges ahead? Will Israel have what is necessary when they are under fire? Will they have the courage and the strength to be obedient to what God is calling them into. These are all uncertainties that are left as they look across the river into the place that God is calling them. Fear is there, waiting for them. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of punishment. Will, will Joshua be able to be the leader that God has called him to be? And so there are fears that are very real, Fears that can paralyze us, fears that can discourage us, and fears that can distract us and move us into courses of action that God has not called us into. Because when we look at a situation and, and we're fearful of that situation, then we oftentimes want to retreat or move away from what it is that God is calling us into. And so what are the challenges that are in your life? What are the things that, that God is calling you into? And you say, yeah, I am, I know. <laughs> no. That, that enemy is too great. That challenge is too, too much. I cannot overcome that. I see that health challenge. I see that job challenge. I see that relational challenge. And it is too much for me. No. Or will you join with Joshua and stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with that fear? Stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with that challenge and say, Yes, God is with me. Be strong and courageous. 
And so there's four themes that come through this story that give us these, these anecdotes to fear. As, as we look at challenges that are in front of us, as we, we think about what God is calling us to be, what God is challenging us to do, we look at that and here are things that can be an anecdote to those fears. And the first one is that we have a unique identity. We have a unique identity. There is something different about us. We are a unique people with a unique mission. The commission of, of Joshua really parallels the commission of the disciples that they receive in Matthew 28. That is, as Joshua is taking over the lead from Moses who has departed, Jesus is ascending to heaven and he leaves the church in the hands of the apostles. Moses leaves and, and leaves the people into the hands of Joshua. Jesus leaves and leaves the, ha- leaves the church into the hands of the apostles and in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Israel is making this major geographical transition. They're crossing over the Jordan into this promised land. The Great Commission sends us into all the worlds. We're moving into a different geographical place. Joshua is, is commanded to cross over the Jordan. Jesus commands his people to go, to go and make disciples. And so our, our unique identity compels us to cross over the Jordan, to cross out of the safety of our sanctuary, out of the safety of the sanctuary of the church, to interact with our neighbors, to go into the world. It requires us to get out of our comfort zones, get out of the east side of the river and cross over the river into the west. And so we have this unique purpose, this unique identity, this unique mission that we're called into. And so oftentimes when we are faced with a challenge and we're fearful of that challenge, we just need to be reminded of who we are and what we're called to. We're reminded of our calling, and we have a unique identity in that. Another thing that we see through the story of Joshua here is this dependence on the Word of God, this, this dependency on, on the instructions of God. And so most organizations have some sort of policy manual. Um, sometimes they're binders that are way too big, that don't get read nearly enough. But they have these policy manuals that are designed to to clarify what the procedures are, what the processes are, what the expectations are for the people of that organization. Now there's policy manuals for students at schools. There's policy manuals for employees. They tell us what's expected of us. They they work to to show how the organization will function properly and, and build the cultural norms of that organization. And so God's given Joshua a manual to guide him. He's given a manual to say these are the instructions that, that Moses has that have, been, that have been given to Moses that are critical for Joshua's success. That if Joshua is going to, to be successful in the unique mission that he's been given, then he has to rely on the instructions that have been given to him through Moses and through God. It's instructed him on, on how and what to do and what not to do to enjoy God's full favor. And so as, bo- as followers of Jesus, we too have been given instructions. Instructions by the life 
of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. We follow him and we follow his examples. And so we need to, to consistently immerse ourselves in his life and in his teachings for us to be successful. Who is Jesus to you? We spent all of August answering or asking that question. Who is Jesus? Because that shapes who we are in our unique identity and our unique mission. And so Jesus calls us to obey two commands. He, he calls us to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he calls us to love our neighbors. And so true love of God is going to be investing our whole selves, our minds and our bodies and our hearts, our souls, all of us are invested into God and into a relationship with God. And the overflow of that relationship is, in, is the love of others and the love of neighbors. John 13, 34 gives us this command in, in a different context. It says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our love for others is an identifier, a marker that says we are disciples of Jesus. We will be known as his disciples because of our love for others. And Jesus demonstrates this for us. He models this for us through his sacrifice on the cross. And so we commit to follow the risen Christ because he first loved us. His love for us allows us to love God with everything that we have. A third key part of this story is this bond of unity. That it is important for Israel to stand together. It's important for Israel to come together all as one to fight this battle. It's not a segment over here and a segment over here and a tribe over there. They are all coming together to fight this battle. There's this great emphasis on the unity of Israel to move together into the promised lands. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, about how important unity is. That if, if one of us is hurting, then all of us are hurting. If one tribe is not successful, then all the tribes are not successful. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. One part's rejoicing we're all rejoicing. One part is suffering. We are all suffering. And so Paul stresses that we are, are many parts of a body, many parts that all come together. And if one is struggling, then we're all struggling. And so this unity transcends our, our ethnic and economic diversity. It transcends the differences that we see in one another. And our, our unity prohibits us from one member devaluing another member or, or, or saying that one member is unnecessary to the body's work. All are necessary. All are part of the body. All come together for the mission of God. No one is excluded from that. This unique identity is open to all. 
the instructions of God are available to all. The unity of the body is available to all. And finally, it is through God's powerful presence that this will ultimately happen. It is not in the power of Israel going in to take the land. It is not in, in the great intelligence of Joshua and the great leadership ability of Joshua to go in and take the land. It is through the power of God giving them the land that it will happen. And so, like Joshua, we have the assurance of Jesus' presence in our life. That, that, that the Spirit is present with us. Is the Great Commission tells us, and surely I am with you always into the very end of the age. The Gospel of John talks about being given a comforter, give, being given a counselor that is with us and supporting us and empowering us to do the mission of God. And so Joshua led Israel across the Jordan because God promised to be with him. As Christians, we are an army that is engaged in warfare. We are engaged in battle. We are marching into war. We have a spiritual army, a spiritual war that we are fighting. And like Joshua, we are facing great dangers. We are facing great fears. We are facing so many challenges that are up against us. That as we go into this mission of God, there are so many challenges, so many uncertainties, so many things that we can't figure out that we can't do on our own. Things that we cannot do in our own effort. Things that baffle us and confuse us. Things that make us uncomfortable. Things that stretch us. The challenge is very real. The challenge is difficult. But we're called to do something more. And we first have to rely on God's powerful presence. That through God all things are possible. God will work miracles in those areas of our lives. He will correct those challenges. He will lead us through over the river into the promised lands because of the powerful presence of God, because of the assurance that I am with you. I am with you. So we can march daily into the war that we are battling, into this spiritual battlefield. It may be our homes, it may be our marriages, it may be with our kids, it may be in our neighborhoods, it may be in our jobs or our schools, it could be in our country or in our world. We're facing a battlefield. And like Jesus, we are bringing the good news into the broken, into the hurting, into the lost world. That's what we're called to do. And God is with us. He is leading the way, empowering us along the way to be his people. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. I am with you promise that's given to us. Let's stand together. I don't know what kind of challenge comes to mind. What is, what's heavy on your heart, what, what war is being waged, <laughs> what battle you're confronting. It could be a challenge of a physical health. It could be a challenge of relationships. It could be a challenge of, 
of unemployment or the wrong employment or difficult employments. It could be a challenge of how do I be a Christian at school? How do I live out my faith in the workplace? How, how do I, I deal with, with the negative issues around me that are eating away at my faith and discouraging me and distracting me? What is it that you're fearful of? What challenges do you face? What are the things that you're, you're standing up toe-to-toe against and you're ready to either fight or run? We're a unified body that will stand together to fight that battle. And so this is a time for us to pray for one another, to, to join in battle with one another as we pray with one another, as we encourage one another, as we lift one another up. And so I want to encourage you to seek out prayer right now from a friend, from a family member, from a life group, from one of the shepherds, from myself. Seek out prayer and say, this is, this is the battlefield that I'm dealing with. Will you fight with me? And let's pray together. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. God, there is an unseen war that battles around us. And we see glimpses of that pop up. And it scares us. But we know that this is your fight. And so we call on you to fight it. That we will not live in fear. Because you are with us. And you have called us into a place where we can rely on you and rest in you and in your promises. So God, I ask you to make us strong. Make us courageous. And lead us into the land that you have promised us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.